The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to the Money Answer Show with host Jordan Goodman. Whether you are starting out, deep into your retirement, or somewhere in between, the Money Answer Show has the know-how to help you. Now here's your host, Jordan Goodman. Welcome to the Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest for this hour is Kenneth Kim. Uh, he is an author of a new book called Mutual Funds Exposed. He is also the chief financial strategist uh, for a company called Equus Capital. Welcome to the show, Ken. Hi, Jordan. Thanks for having me on the show. Let's just start with your background a little bit and uh, what you, your, your history has been leading up to writing this book. Sounds good. Sounds good. So, so you know, I, I've been a finance professor for, for, for about 20 years. And during that time as a finance professor, I've always had, you know, my hand in industry as well. I worked for the government for a couple of years. Uh, I worked in banking. I worked for a litigation firm. Uh, and so, you know, it, during this time, it's, you know, it's, while I've enjoyed being a, an academic and being a professor, I've always wanted to go full, full time into industry. And when an opportunity came up where something very innovative was being done on a, in, with, with the industry, the, the money management industry, I decided that this was a good time to, uh, to go ahead and plunge into it. So I'm, I'm an academic that has become uh, an industry practitioner. So tell us a little bit about what Equus Capital does. So Equus Capital is, a, is it's what's known as a, as a TAMP, T-A-M-P. Um, and what that is, is, well, you know, a lot of, a lot, our lives have been improved um, with, with the advance of technology. And one of those things is, is also with regard to investing. And what a TAMP is, is something of a, of a new innovation. Uh, what, what, what they do is they provide uh, financial advisors uh, access to many money managers uh, so that they can provide their clients with professional money management um, with, you know, low minimum, uh, you know, costs and, and fees and, and so forth. So, for example, um, if an investor wanted to have his or her own uh, money uh, managed by a professional money manager, uh, a minimum requirement would be several million dollars. You'd have to have a several million dollar account or maybe at the, at the least a million dollar account. But with the platform that we provide uh, with regards to the camp, uh, you can have a professional managing your money for as little as $25,000, uh, you know, in terms of having an account. So it can be professionally managed and not just by one money manager, by multiple money managers. So this is something the average individual could go to Equus and sign up for this firm and then be able to get several different money measures for a minimum of 25000 So it's best if they do it through a financial advisor because, you know, usually uh, for the average individual, there might be a lot of things that he or she may not know about preparing for their retirement, planning for their future, uh, you know, what kinds of savings and, and what kinds of investments are good things to do. And that can only really be provided by a professional financial advisor. And so it is with a financial advisor that they could come onto our platform and open up a professionally managed account for a minimum of as little as twenty five thousand dollars. 
Okay, very good. Uh, and so if people want to find out more about that, the website is public.equis.com, correct? That is correct. And what will they find at that website? So there's, there's a variety of information there. There will be information there for investors. So sometimes, you know, investors might want to come directly onto the website just to learn more about what it is that we provide. Uh, and there's also, you know, information on there for money managers who want to provide their services, their portfolios, uh, so that investors have access to those portfolios to see what kind of portfolios are available. And then finally, there's information on there for financial advisors who might want to use our platform so that they can provide their clients and investors with the latest uh, in, in terms of what technology can do for the client. So there's kind of an irony here. On one hand, uh, you're offering ways for people to get access to professional money managers. On the other hand, you're slamming mutual funds and saying mutual funds are uh, overpriced and have tax problems. We're going to go through the details on that. But why is it that you think money managers are good on one, one side and not so good when they're in mutual funds? So money managers, I, I, I think money managers uh, can provide a nice service for investors. The only problem is, is that the mutual fund structure, um, you know, that structure is what I think is flawed. Uh, I don't think that's the best way for investors to get uh, professional uh, money management. Um, they can do it more directly through something called a separately managed account. The problem with mutual funds is that an investor in a mutual fund is, is actually only a co-mingled investor. And so you don't really directly own the stocks and bonds and other securities or assets that are in the mutual fund. The mutual fund owns them for you and for other investors. And so when they are engaging in activities on behalf of other investors, all of these things can affect, can affect you you, even though these activities are not, you know, being done for you. Yes, indeed, I see the difference. We're going to go into the details of why you don't aren't a big fan of mutual funds, but let's just kind of start with the overall picture here. We've got trillions of dollars in mutual funds now. Um, they've grown dramatically. This is the way the average investor uh, invests either directly through mutual funds or indirectly through 401ks or 403bs, other kinds of plans like that. So why is it that an industry that's so big, that's so mainstream in America has got so many flaws to it and still keeps going? <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a good question. And that's, 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 that's the main motivation for my having written a book about the flaws of mutual funds. The mutual fund industry, you know, there was a time when mutual funds provided a, a useful service because, you know, the average investor, it's hard for the average investor to put together a, a, a diversified, efficient portfolio on his or her own. And so what, what the average individual might do would be to invest in mutual funds. Now, mutual funds, is, it's sort of, you know, as I, as I explained before, of course, it's just it's a collection of stocks and other securities uh, that have been put together by professional money managers who allow access to, to that mutual fund, um, you know, to, to different kinds of clients and investors. And, and for, for the longest time, this was, this was what was best available for investors. Um, but, but, as I was saying before, you know, as technology improves, uh, everything can improve, uh, including the way we invest. And so I think the reason why mutual funds is still a trillion-dollar industry is because it's sort of just uh, a, kind of a leftover device that, that just carried over from the 20th century. But I think this is something that's going to dwindle down in size as people become more educated about what's being available today with regard to separate accounts and minimums that have been dramatically decreased with uh, the improvements in technology. 
How would you compare uh, what's going on with mutual funds versus exchange-traded funds? Mutual funds' assets have not been growing as fast as ETFs. Kind of how do they stand in a market share basis? So ETFs, I'm glad you bring that up. You know, one of the reasons why ETFs has become uh, so successful in the past decade, of course, is because, you know, the, the, the promise of the mutual funds is something that's been, you know, well understood by, by investors and especially financial advisors. And so that's why these ETFs have become so popular, because with ETFs, uh, you, you can own the securities in them directly, and so you're not a commingled investor. You're not going to get burned by what, what, what the uh, ETF manager is doing for the other investors. Um, and so that's why ETFs have become popular. Uh, the only problem, I mean, there's, there's a few problems with ETFs, however, <clears throat> that separately managed accounts don't experience. Uh, with ETFs, for example, um, you know, they're directly linked to something. So as an example, you might have the SPY, which is just the S&P 500 ETF, which means that by design, that this ETF is not really professionally managed and is going to really never beat the S&P 500 because it's designed to just simply track the S&P 500. So a lot of ETFs aren't designed, you know, to uh, promise occasional years of outperformance. Um, and also, the ETF is also a bundled product. And so when you buy an ETF, uh, you're buying what's in that ETF, and there's no customization that's possible. Uh, as an example, let's say you're someone who's environmentally conscious, and, and so you care about the assets that you own. You may not want to have what are known as thin stocks. Thin stocks are firms that make and produce alcohol or cigarettes or are in the gaming industry or whatnot. Um, and, and this and, and this kind of customization is not available with an ETF because, again, when you buy an ETF, you buy all the securities that are in there. Uh, and finally, I, I guess the other thing that's, that's flawed about ETFs is, you know, a lot of investors like to do some uh, uh, tax loss uh, harvesting at the end of the year. They want to sell off those individual securities that have lost some, uh, you know, uh, experience in capital losses, and so they want to get those tax loss uh, credits. Uh, with an ETF, you can't do this kind of uh, you know, tax loss harvesting because you can't break off individual pieces and just sell off parts of the ETF that have lost value. Of course, with a separate account, you can do this. I see. So when you have a same kind of uh, goal for an ETF and a mutual fund, just take a S&P 500 index as an example, is there an advantage of doing a mutual fund over the ETF or vice versa? The advantage would be with the ETF. You know, the, I mean, one of the main one of the main flaws of mutual funds is that, as I was saying earlier, is that you're you're a commingled investor, and and what this leads to, it leads to this problem of uh, what is known as hidden costs. So, for example, uh, let's say you and I invested into a mutual fund today, um, and then our plan is just to invest and rest, and we're not going to touch this mutual fund for the next ten years. But in the course of the next 10 years, other investors are going to invest or divest from the mutual fund that you and I own, which means our mutual fund is going to be paying for broker commissions. Uh, they're going to suffer bid-ask spreads. Uh, they're going to experience things like price impacts, for example, where if clients are coming into the mutual fund, that causes prices to rise, which means that the mutual fund is going to have to buy stocks or those other investors you know, at higher prices because of this price impact. And so who's paying for all of these, all of these adverse effects, these broker commissions, these bid-ask spreads, these, these costs due to price impacts? Who, who's paying for this? Of course, it's, it's the mutual fund. 
And, and, and because you and I own this mutual fund, we, we're experiencing all of these costs that are being incurred, not because of, you know, uh, you and me or, or, or actions being, being taken for you and me, but, but because of the other investors. And that's, that's the entire problem with the co-mingling of ownership with regard to mutual funds. This is something you don't have with ETFs. This is something that you don't have with a separately managed account. Can you quantify, just roughly, say an apples-to-apples comparison of like an S&P 500 index mutual fund versus an an ETF, all the things you were just saying, how much lower would your return be, just roughly, on the mutual fund compared to the ETF because of the factors you just mentioned? Correct, yeah. And so, of course, you know, the operative word there is uh, roughly because a lot of these, you know, hidden costs I'm talking about uh, can vary widely depending on the fund that, you know, that we're, we're talking about. But if it's a large fund, for example, um, you know, where a lot of these costs can be significantly larger, uh, the, the costs can be larger. These hidden costs can be larger than, than the disclosed costs. And these disclosed costs, you know, where I'm talking about all the fees and 12B1 fees and, you know, uh, you know other kinds of costs associated with buying mutual funds that, that are disclosed, these hidden costs can actually be larger. And so here, these hidden costs, roughly speaking, and again, the operative word here is roughly, I would say 3, 4, maybe even 5%, eating up 3 to 4 or 5% of your return, and we're talking annually. Really, that much? Wow, that's pretty different. It, it, it can be that much, yes. Very good. All right, we're going to go into this in more detail. Uh, we're going to take a break right now. Uh, my guest this hour is uh, Dr. Kenneth Kim. He's the chief financial strategist at Equus. He's also the author of a new book called Mutual Funds Exposed, What You Don't Know May Be Hazardous to Your Wealth. We'll be back after this. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. It's a sad fact that fraud is rampant in today's business environment. The headlines scream about once prestigious organizations falling victim to or crumbling due to the consequences of fraud. How do you keep fraud from affecting you and your business? Tune in to Fraud Talk with host Chris Marquet. Chris has over 30 years of fraud investigation experience, business intelligence, and is a renowned security consultant. Chris and his guests will inform you and help keep you from being the next statistic of fraud. Tune in Mondays at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, 7 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Leadership is a vital skill set in today's competitive global economy. Being a leader is not enough. To succeed, you must optimize your performance and know how to imbue others in your organization with leadership skills. Practical, actionable leadership insights are the focus of Leadership Development News, hosted each Monday at 9 a.m. Pacific, noon Eastern, by Kathy Greenberg and Relly Nadler on the Voice America Business Channel. Doctors Greenberg and Nadler, who coach global leaders on how to be most effective, will share their insights and contacts. The path to leadership excellence begins here. Listen for exclusive clips from Oprah's upcoming Super Soul Sunday series on Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews every Wednesday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America 7th Wave channel. Then be sure to watch Oprah's Super Soul Sunday on OWN Network TV at 11 a.m. 10 Central every Sunday. 
We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now. Toll free. 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Dr. Kenneth Kim. He's the chief financial strategist at Equus Capital and author of a new book called Mutual Funds Exposed, What You Don't Know May Be Hazardous to Your Wealth. Welcome back to the show, Ken. Thank you, thank you. So one of the things that uh, you don't like about mutual funds is their so-called tax efficiency. So at the end of each year, a mutual fund will have typically a capital gains and both long-term and short-term distribution as well as regular income. So what's wrong about that? Why are mutual funds inefficient if they're distributing uh, capital gains and income? Well, there's there's a variety of reasons why mutual funds uh, suffer from this tax inefficiency. And and I'll just... Uh, let me just take you through um, one that's very well known, which is called the embedded capital gains. Now, so what, what, what happens here is that let's say you and I invested in a mutual fund today. And let's say that mutual fund has Google stock in it for $400 a share. Now, <clears throat> the problem is, is that it, it doesn't, even though you and I bought this mutual fund today, it doesn't count as if we bought Google stock today because we really didn't buy Google stock today. Instead, what we do is what we did is we bought a mutual fund that owns Google stock already. And so, what this means is that let's say later in the week, uh, Google stock goes down to let's say from four hundred to three fifty. Um, <clears throat> or you know, so then what happens is that you and I, of course, have lost a significant bit of money. You know, if this mutual fund had owned a lot of Google stock because the value of this. Of Google stock had gone down. Now, let's say the Google stock stays at 350 for the rest of the year, and the mutual fund decides, you know, now is the time to sell Google stock. Now, you would think that you and I are going to get some kind of tax loss credit here because we've suffered, obviously. But again, it wasn't, you know, when we bought the mutual fund uh, and when Google was valued at 400, we weren't really buying that Google stock at 400. Uh, again, what we were doing is we were buying a mutual fund who already owned Google stock. They might have purchased Google stock, let's say, two years ago, two years ago at, let's say, uh, $250 a, a share, which means that when they decided to sell this Google stock you know, at the end of this year, uh, where it was priced at $350, uh, the mutual fund uh, experienced a $100 per share capital gain. You know, they bought the Google stock a couple years ago at 250. Let's say they decide to sell it two years later for 350. They ha- they have experienced a 100 dollars per share capital gain, and then the mutual fund has to pay, of course, the capital gains tax on this. Um, and and who owns the mutual fund? Well, you and I also own this, which means that you and I uh, are going to bear some of these uh, capital gains tax. When in fact, you know, we didn't experience or enjoy any of these capital gains. Uh, you and I bought the mutual fund when the Google stock was at 400. And so not only have we lost money because the value of our fund has gone down, but we're going to have to pay capital gains uh, on, on, a, on something that uh, we did not you know, specifically uh, enjoy. And so this is what's known as the embedded capital gains problem. <clears throat> you know, if you and I buy mutual funds today, we have to understand 
that the, the, the mutual fund owns stocks that they had purchased previous to our buying the mutual fund and that we are going to be uh, liable for any capital gains that the mutual fund decides to recognize. Is it possible to know before you buy a mutual fund how many, what, what kind of embedded capital gains are in them so you know what kind of liability you might be taking on? I don't know the answer 100%, but I would, I would be highly skeptical that this is possible. Uh, and the reason why is because you don't, you know, investors don't even really know what's in the mutual fund. And this is another kind of odd sort of thing with regard to these, these investment vehicles. Uh, mutual funds, per regulations, only need to, uh, you know, reveal what it is in the fund uh, four times a year. And so this is just their quarterly reporting. Other than these four times per year, if you were to call the fund manager and ask him or her, you know, can you tell me what's in the mutual fund, the mutual fund that I own, uh, they're going to say, well, we, we're not going to tell you. We can't tell you, but we don't need to tell you. Uh, and, and we don't want to tell you because, I don't know, they might say something like, you know, it's top secret or something. That, you know, they don't want other mutual funds, you know, to, to imitate them or, or something like this. But I just don't see why, if, if, if this is something that they reveal four times out of the year, why this isn't something that they should reveal any time a mutual fund owner wants, wants to know. And, I'm, and at the end of the day, you know, th- these are our investments, our securities, our, you know, our livelihoods. I, I would think that uh, we should be allowed to know what stocks we are owning indirectly through the fund. Now, that, there's the other side of this is too, is there's embedded capital losses. So say uh, years ago, say in 2008, the stock market went down sharply, they sold stocks and realized capital losses those capital losses are carried forward to future years so they can shield profits. So it kind of is a two-way street, isn't it? Absolutely. And this is, this is what the mutual fund industry will, will claim. You know, whenever this issue of tax inefficiency is raised, you know, the mutual fund industry will say, well, it will all even out, you know, you know so, sort of come out in the wash, so to speak. But, I mean, here's the thing. I mean, <clears throat> maybe it does and maybe it doesn't. Uh, maybe sometimes you experience some good luck and maybe sometimes you experience some bad luck. But, you know, uh, I don't know about you um, but and other people, but for me personally, if this is my, my retirement money, something that I want to save for the future. I don't want to, I just don't want to rely on everything is going to just come out even. I just want everything to just be fair. Uh, and so, you know, this whole notion that, you know, everything will sort of cancel each other out. Uh, it doesn't make me feel any more comfortable because this is my hard-earned savings that we're talking about here. I just want everything to come out fair rather than just hope that everything just comes out, comes out even at the end. Would it make sense to buy into mutual funds that have had a bad record recently and built up some capital losses so any gains they do going forward would be sheltered? <clears throat> That's not a bad idea, but then again, you, you know, you, now you would be talking about looking for, let's say, uh, looking for losers now, and so I don't. I don't know if that's a very good, uh, you know, prudent investment advice because you know what what could be a loser this past year, you know, it may indicate that they could be a loser in the future. Uh, and so you know that that's 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 a that's a possible strategy. But again, I just think that you know, wouldn't it be best, uh, you know, instead of trying to figure out, you know, okay, here are the several flaws in mutual funds. How can I sort of like tiptoe around it. I mean, instead of doing that, wouldn't it be better to, you know, to get out of mutual funds altogether if there was an alternative way to invest? 
and there are that you know we've got ETFs and we've got separately managed accounts. And between the two, of course, I prefer the separately managed accounts because that's just you know uh, the most flexible, most transparent, uh, and one of the best ways to invest, in my opinion. So with an ETF, there are no capital gains distributions or losses the way there are with mutual funds. And then uh, with the separate managed accounts, if you buy or sell a stock, it's up to you. It's, uh, you're going to pay the capital gain or loss in your own accounts, not mixed with other people. That's what you're concerned about, right? Exactly. Okay. Now, with, with uh, like an, uh, a, um, an ETF, they are going to have dividends and capital gains. How does that work? How do they harvest? If, if they, uh, there are some that are more actively managed than others. Not all are just pure index funds. If, or say they sell a stock that's taken over, or it has a dividend. How is that distributed through an ETF to investors? It's it's distributed it's distributed in the same way that it would be with mutual funds. But the nice thing about the ETFs is that you know when you buy an ETF today, I mean that that's that that price is the price that gets recorded, uh, and so it, you know there is going to be no problem with embedded capital gains or embedded capital losses. Uh, you know, that is your cost basis. Whatever, whatever day you decide to buy the ETF, that is your cost basis. And so if there are going to be capital gains distributions and, and, and whatnot, then it's, it, it is what it is. Um, you know, and I'll, and I'll say the same thing with the separately managed accounts. You know, you could have a professional money manager who makes those similar kinds of decisions, uh, you know, to, to realize losses or to realize gains and to make distributions. That, that can happen as well. You know, and, and that... It's all it's all good. Uh, you know, my only concern is, is of course, just you know having to pay capital gains on, on on capital gains that you did not, you know, yourself enjoy or or appreciate. A lot of people also get distributions you know, typically in December, and then reinvest them, and then they're surprised when they get a a ten ninety nine for all these distributions. They have to pay taxes on them. It can probably surprise a lot of people who own mutual funds. They're not expecting that. That's correct. That is correct. So what, what do people do about that? I mean, some people say the solution is to sell the mutual funds before they do the capital gains distribution. Yeah, that's, you know, and again, I don't, I mean, those are, uh, I'll be honest, I'm, I'm not sure, I, you know, I, I try to steer clear of mutual funds myself, and so I don't really have good strategies in, in investing in mutual funds. You know, it's sort of, you know, kind of goes back to that issue that, uh, you know, it, it's, there might be ways that you can uh, strategically invest in mutual funds to get the most out of them. But I just think that, you know, just investing in the strategically managed, or I'm sorry, the, the separately managed accounts is, is something that would be best because then here you can work directly with the advisor, the financial advisor, who can sit down with you and make these kinds of decisions with you. You're saying you're really in control of things much more than with a mutual fund where it's commingled with other people and there's all kinds of past capital gains and losses you don't know about and you really don't control things is what you're saying. That is correct. Very good. All right, we're going to take a break. Uh, This is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Dr. Kenneth Kim. He's the chief financial strategist at Equus Capital. Uh, and the website for that is public.equis.com. He's also the author of a new book called Mutual Funds Exposed, What You Don't Know Can Be Hazardous to Your Wealth. And there is a, mutual, a, a website related to this book, which is mutualfundsexposed.com. We'll be back after this. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. 
Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. We hear it and read about it every day in the news. America is heading over a fiscal cliff. Home prices are still receding and unemployment growing. How can you preserve and increase your wealth in this kind of economy? Tune in to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with host Jay Taylor. Jay will explain the decline of our monetary system and the economy and will give you winning investment ideas and the tools to protect and increase your wealth. Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor can be heard Tuesdays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. What does conscious leadership mean to you? It unites organizations instead of dividing them. By exploring commonly based business challenges, it guarantees an increase in your bottom line. Tune in to Minding Our Business, Creating a Spiritual Economy with your host, Nadine Rogers. Each week, we'll hear from business leaders and learn from their strategies. We'll talk about personal and organizational best practices that you can learn from, and we'll hear from you. Minding Our Business airs live Mondays at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Business. Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or Twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Dr. Kenneth Kim. Uh, He is the Chief Financial Strategist at Equus Capital. Uh, The website for them is public.equis.com. He's also the author of a new book called Mutual Funds Exposed, What You Don't Know May Be Hazardous to Your Wealth. And there is a website related to that book as well, which is mutualfundsexposed.com. Welcome back to the show, Ken. Thank you. Thank you. So you say that people can suffer costs because of the behavior of other investors, and that's going to hurt their returns in mutual funds. So what are some of the other costs involved in mutual funds that you can avoid through separately managed accounts or ETFs? So, you know, as I was, as I was describing uh, briefly a little bit earlier, and I'll, I'll, I'd like to uh, just describe a little bit more detail now, is that is what is known as hidden costs or invisible costs of mutual funds. <clears throat> and so, you know, a lot th- these problems stem from the fact that you are a commingled investor uh, in a mutual fund if you own mutual funds, and which means also that you don't directly own the securities or the assets in the mutual fund. The mutual fund owns them for you and for the other investors in the fund. Now, what 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 this can lead to is this problem of hidden costs. And so, you know, if you and I invest in a mutual fund today and then afterwards, uh, other investors decide they're going to invest in this fund or they decide they're going to get out of the fund. Uh, so that means there's a lot of trading that's going to take place, uh, not, not trading for, for you and me, by the way, but trading for these other investors, which means that the mutual fund is going to have to pay the brokerage costs associated with these trades, which means that they're going to have to you know, suffer the bid-ask spreads. 
Uh, you know, those bid-ass spreads are where, I mean, it's just like with a used car dealer. You know, these used car dealers, they buy used cars at a lower price than what they sell them for. And so that's what, you know, brokers do with, when, when, with regard to stocks. And so when mutual funds are buying and selling stocks, um, they're, they're experiencing the spread. They'll, they'll be selling stocks at a lower price at which they're, they're buying them for. Uh, so you're going to lose money there as well. And then there's this thing called price impact. And so let's say that, you know, uh, a bunch of new investors decide to come into the fund. Um, and that means that the mutual fund is now going to have to take this new dollars and buy more securities. Now, when a mutual fund buys more securities, you know, they could be buying a significant number of securities. Uh, what, that can, what that can do is drive up the price of those securities, which means the mutual fund is going to be buying stocks uh, for a higher price simply because the mutual fund is buying a bunch of stocks. Uh, and so this is the price impact, which means that you and I are sitting here as, a, as an owner of a mutual fund, watching our mutual fund pay broker fees for other investors, suffering bid-ass spreads, and buying stocks at high, high prices than what they are now. Uh, you, know, that you and I are going to suffer all of this because you know, who's, who's going to be paying for all of this, of course, is, is the fund itself. And as owners of the fund, we share some of these costs. Uh, these kinds of problems don't, don't occur with ETFs and with separately managed accounts because those cost-based, uh, you know, the, there is no commingled, no commingling of other investors. Uh, when we buy an ETF, we are the owner of an ETF. When we buy, when we buy into a separately managed account, securities and assets are being bought directly for us. And if we decide that you know we don't want to do any more trading in those uh, securities, then we don't have to suffer any more brokerage costs, any spreads, and no price impact. Now it's particularly dramatic. If, say there's a mutual fund, this has been really hot, okay, and it's gone up 100% last year, and all of a sudden becomes very popular, and a rush of money comes into it, and the fund manager has to invest that money in these stocks, as you say, at higher prices, and then. Two years later, it goes down dramatically, and investors rush out of the fund because it had such terrible performance, and so he has to sell the stocks at lower prices. So that's what you're saying on a kind of a dramatic basis is, is kind of amplifying uh, the negative impact on both the, the up part and the down part. Is that that's what you're saying? Correct. And so, you know, what, what it is is like this. I mean, let's say there's a stock, and let's say the fundamental value of the stock is $20 a share, all right? And so... Uh, the mutual fund owns the stock. And, and now what happens in your example, if a bunch of investors decide to come into this firm, uh, into this mutual fund, well, the mutual fund is going to have to take their investment dollars and purchase more of this $20 stock. And so let's say they decide to buy 1 million more shares of this $20 stock. You know, it, it, by virtue of the mutual fund purchasing 1 million shares of stock, of a $20 stock, it's going to drive that, that stock price up, let's say from 20 to $21, let's say. Um, and so here, what the mutual fund manager is going to do is they're, they're going to be buying $20 stocks at $21 a share. Uh, and, you know, is this something that we want to happen? Uh, well, you and me, no, because, you know, we don't want, you know, $20 stocks being bought at $21. And then in going on with your example, when you said that investors are going to be clamoring out of the mutual fund, let's say two years down the line, well, let's say the stock is still fundamental value, still $20 a share. And when the investors want to divest, that means that the mutual fund is going to have to come up with the cash to divest their clients. They're going to sell this $20 stock 
And let's say they decide to sell a million shares of it. Well, when you sell a million shares of something, there's a good possibility that you're going to have to sell it at a discount. Let's say $19 a share. So they're going to be selling our $20 stocks for $19 a share. Uh, and so if you think about it, you know, here we are, you and I, let's say we invested in this, you know, a couple years earlier, what we're seeing our mutual fund do is they're buying $20 stocks for $21 and they're selling $20 stocks for $19. I mean, you know, it just, you know, how happy is that going to make you and me? Of course, not happy at all. We don't want, you know, our stocks, you know, uh, being sold for 19 and we don't want, you know, $20 stocks being purchased for $21. This so it is, hurts this you on both ends, you're saying. Hurts yeah. you on both ends. Hurts you on both ends. Now, what mutual funds would say to this is, first of all, bid-ask spreads are very tight today because they're doing it such volume, and commissions are very low because they're doing it at an institutional level, and they're very smart about not letting people know they're going to be buying into a stock or selling a stock that they do it over a lengthy period of time, and therefore they kind of hide it, and therefore they're not pushing up the price or pushing down the price. That's what a mutual fund would respond to what you're saying about here. Exactly, and I'm and I'm well aware of these of these defenses that mutual funds make. You know, they'll, they'll they will sell it. They will say exactly what you're selling saying right now. You know, uh, compared to say ten years ago or twenty years ago, spreads are lower, commissions are lower, uh, and they will try to hide their trades so that it has a minimal impact, uh, minimal price impact. But you know, here's the, here's the thing, Jordan. I mean, when you say that this cost is, 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 is small and this other cost is small and this other cost is small. Well, you know, these, these small costs add up to uh, a, a reasonably big cost, in my opinion. And, and here's the thing. I mean, you know, when someone makes the argument, you know, something like, uh, you know, I'm going to, uh, you know, you're going to suffer these costs, but these costs are small, so don't worry about it. To me, that's sort of like, you know, um, you know, this is going to hurt a little bit, but don't worry about it. It'll just hurt a little bit. Or, I'm going to steal some of your money, but don't worry about it. I'm just going to steal just a little bit of your money. It, it, this argument doesn't really work for me. It just I'd rather that uh, that there was no such thing as hidden costs, and I, I I'd rather that I didn't have to suffer any uh, costs because of commingled investors. Yeah. Now another thing you say is that mutual funds over diversify. I mean everybody's taught diversification is the only free lunch out there. If you diversify both within stocks and between asset classes that uh, you, you get higher rates of return at lower rates of risk. So what's wrong with having widely diversified mutual funds? So I, I, I totally agree with you that diversified mutual funds is, is great, and diversified anything is great. I mean, even if you're going with a separately managed account, I would uh, you know, strongly, very strongly advise anyone to be broadly diversified across asset classes and so forth, because that is – as you, as you describe, uh, a free lunch where you can reduce the risk and still get the nice returns. But what I'm talking about is, is over-diversification. Uh, you don't need to have hundreds of stocks, uh, and especially hundreds of similar stocks in your mutual fund to get the benefits of diversification. Uh, and a lot of mutual funds do have hundreds of stocks in them. Now, this might be akin to saying something like, well, what's wrong with being too safe? In other words, what's wrong with too much diversification? There is something wrong with it if, if you are filling out your mutual fund uh, you know, just to have this diversification. So let me give you an example. Let's say there's a mutual fund manager and he or she has uh, five or six excellent ideas about you know, security selection. But now you cannot have a portfolio with only five or six stocks in it. 
Uh, and so what they will do for a variety of reasons, uh, you know, some of those reasons include regulations and some of those reasons include uh, pressure from the industry. And some of those reasons might also include self managerial self self-serving interests. Uh, they might just look for another 200 stocks uh, to round out the mutual fund. Now, they don't need to add 200 stocks. They could add maybe, let's say, if they do it smartly, they could add maybe 50 stocks. If it's broadly you know, uh, varied, they could add 50 stocks or 60 stocks. But what they might do is they might add 200 stocks to the portfolio just so that they can be excessively diversified. And where are they going to come up with 200 excellent security, security picks? Uh, do they have 200 favorite stocks? This is something that I really doubt. And so what you have here is you're going to have stocks in a portfolio uh, that's going to water down or dilute the returns of their best stock selection. This is where the problem of over-diversification comes in. Now you've got a, a table in the book uh, where you talk about the number of stocks going from one up to 1,000 or even infinity and how that affects the standard deviation of the returns. Without getting into all the numbers, just kind of explain the, how the more stocks you've got, the worse it gets to some extent. Right. So here, you know, it, it, it's with regard to the risks, uh, there is no question that, you know, with each, with, as you keep adding more stocks, the risk is going to go down. But, but, but there, it, the, the risk benefits diminishes quickly. And so going from one stock to two, the risk dramatically decreases. Going from two to three, the risk dramatically decreases. Uh, going from three stocks to four stocks, the risk dramatically decreases, as you can imagine, because, you know, who, if you have only one stock, I mean, you're in a really risky situation and you can dramatically reduce the risk by going from one stock to two. Now, at what point do these benefits start to diminish? Well, they start to diminish at around 25 to 30 securities. After holding about 30 stocks, let's say you add another stock, uh, you are going to get a risk uh, reduction benefit. But the risk reduction benefit is, it is something like 0.00000, however many you know, zeros, uh, reduction in that standard deviation or that volatility of that portfolio. It, it's trivial. You know? and, and so you know, when, you, when you go from 100 stocks to 101 stocks, you know, of course, you know, uh, statistically speaking, on average, you're going to reduce your risk. But the risk reduction is, again, trivial. It's, it's you know, a risk reduction in the magnitude of 0.00000 whatever. Uh, and so that's a trivial amount of risk reduction. And, and, but, and, so you, and again, but at what cost are you, you know, is this risk reduction uh, you know, causing you? What, what it's causing you is that when you end up with, like, let's say, 100 or 200 or 300 securities, you're, you're getting almost, almost no risk reduction. Uh, but you're, you maybe you are possibly watering down the returns of your best stock selections. And Let's you're having say, more costs because you're doing buying and selling of those other stocks too. That is correct. That is correct. Yes. Yeah. But, but by my whole point is this. I mean, if, if, a, if a fund manager has uh, 10 excellent stock selections and then needs to have a diversified portfolio, let's say decides to buy another 50 stocks, I think you can still get some, get some outperformance from those 10 excellent selections. But when you have 10 excellent stock selections and then you add 200 stocks to it, I mean, are you really going to you know, be able to enjoy the returns from that 10 best stock picks? So you what you're saying is you would, if you were going to do mutual funds, which I know you wouldn't, but if you were, you would, there are certain funds that do so-called concentrated portfolios where they keep their holdings to 50 or less. You would say that would be a better play than a widely diversified fund. 
that for me would be a much better play. That is correct. Very good. All right, we're going to take a break. This is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Dr. Kenneth Kim. He's the chief financial strategist at Equus Capital, their website, public.equis.com. He's also the author of a new book called Mutual Funds Exposed, What You Don't Know May Be Hazardous to Your Wealth. And the website for that is mutualfundsexposed.com. We'll be back after this. Stocks, bonds, investment opportunities, financial news, and talk. We can help. Call us now toll-free, 866-472-5790, 866-472-5790, Voice America Business Network. Do you want to know what's really going on these days? Well, Capital Thinking takes you inside the worlds of policy, politics, law, and business. What happens in Washington, on Wall Street, and in our nation's legal system impacts your business every day. We're taking you on a behind-the-scenes tour of all of it. Each week, we bring you unfiltered conversation with a variety of influential policymakers, lawyers, and business leaders. I'm Kevin O'Neill, and I'm your host as Capital Thinking tours the halls of power. Join me for Capital Thinking on the Voice America Business Network each Thursday at noon Eastern and 9 a.m. Pacific Time. Listen for exclusive clips from Oprah's upcoming Super Soul Sunday series on Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews every Wednesday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America 7th Wave channel. Then be sure to watch Oprah's Super Soul Sunday on OWN Network TV at 11 a.m. 10 Central every Sunday. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog, Press Pass? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective. Plus topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. It's just a click away at VAPressPass.com. That's VAPressPass.com. VA Press Pass by Voice America. All access, all the time. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Dr. Kenneth Kim. He's the chief financial strategist at Equus Capital, their website, public.equis.com. He also has written a new book called Mutual Funds Exposed, What You Don't Know May Be Hazardous to Your Wealth. Website for that, mutualfundsexposed.com. Welcome back to the show, Ken. Thank you. So you've got a whole chapter on what you call mutual funds can be sneaky. So let's go through all the different ways that mutual funds can be sneaky. The first one being incubation. What do you mean by that? So incubation is a practice that mutual funds claim that they do in the interest of investors. Um, and the idea goes something like this. What, what, what a mutual fund might say is that they created a portfolio, um, but before they make it available to the investing public, they're going to test the performance of this portfolio. Um, and if it does well, then they will make it available for, for purchase. Now, you know, on theoretical grounds, this sounds like a great idea because, you know, for example, this is what pharmaceutical companies do. Uh, before they sell drugs, is that they test them before they sell them. 
Uh, and so, you know, you would want mutual funds to, to test mutual funds before they sell them. Now, but here's the problem. You know, what a mutual fund manager could do is they could create, let's say, a handful of mutual funds uh, for incubation. And this incubation is, what, is that trial period. They create a handful of, uh, you know, of uh, mutual funds, test them in an incubation period, and then it could, you know, with, with a handful of funds, it's easily possible that one or two funds are just going to randomly outperform because there's so there can be there can be so much randomness in this, and so then the the funds that have randomly outperformed during the incubation period, those are the ones that they could bring to the investing public. The other funds that did not do well, they will just you know sort of disband and no one knows that they ever existed. Uh, with the fund that they bring public, they could say, here is a fund that we tested. It had outperformance uh, for, for several quarters or, or whatever, and now we feel confident in its performance, and we're going to sell it to you, to the investing public. <clears throat> now, the investing public thinking that, oh, here's a fund that's been incubated or tested. We're going to buy this. Well, the truth of the matter is, is that this fund that they're bringing public is simply the random outperformer among many funds that were randomly thrown together. Uh, and so that's what's being done here. And this problem is a well-known problem. And, 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 and there's proof, there's solid proof out there produced by academic researchers that have documented that this is a practice that does exist. Because So, so have you actually with, studied uh, funds that came out of incubation and see that they underperformed after they were launched, after being incubated? I personally did not. And that's only because there have been several studies that have already been done that have uh, robustly shown this. And so mm-hmm. you know, there's, no, there's no need for me to reinvent the wheel here. Uh, and and, and the, really, the, the proof is that if you know that re- with regard to uh, with what I'm describing is that if these funds were really truly good funds, you know, once they're made to the investing public, you would think they would continue to do well, but they don't. In fact, they underperform. Because, and, mm. and why would they underperform? It's, well, it's because their their outperformance during incubation was random. And so what you're seeing here is is just mean reversion. Okay. Uh, and so this is the practice that, that's you know going on in the mutual fund industry. Among uh, other sneaky practices. Let's go, we have limited time. Let's get to our other sneaky practices, which is uh, one of them is called window dressing. And people often hear about this at the end of the quarter. Uh, what is window dressing and how does that uh, impact uh, mutual fund shareholders negatively? So, you know, I mentioned earlier that mutual funds only have to report their holdings four times a year, which gives them an amazing tool to be able to sort of window dress. Uh, for example, you know, let's say they held a stock. And it didn't do well. Uh, and then what they do is before the quarterly reporting comes up, they could just quickly sell that stock so to hide the fact that they owned a poorly performing stock from their investors. And let's say vice versa, there's a, there's a stock that the mutual fund did not hold, but it did really well. And then before the quarterly reporting, the mutual fund might quickly buy it up uh, you know, to, to kind of fool investors into thinking that they were invested in this good stock all along. When in fact the good stock was only recently purchased just for the quarterly report, and that's the window dressing example. Uh, so that's where these stocks at the end of the quarter, the ones that have done best, do even better because everybody's buying the winners to make themselves look good. Is what you're saying? It's it's sort of that's not it is partly what I'm saying. You know, it's 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 where they're trying to buy the stocks that have recently done well to make it look like that you know the mutual fund had always been invested in those stocks. Yeah. And out of the losers. It's both ways, right? They sell the losers and buy the winners. Exactly. Right. exactly. Now, ways. another thing you say is that they help with investment banking business. What are the relationships between mutual funds and investment banks, and how does that hurt shareholders? 
So, you know, there, there, there are a lot of mutual funds that are affiliated with investment banks. And so what, what you could have here is, let's say an investment bank takes a, takes a company public, uh, you know, with an IPO. And then let's say that IPO does not get fully subscribed, which means that, you know, all the shares are not bought up. They could ask their, you know, their affiliated mutual fund, uh, can, you know, they can say, look, can you buy the remaining shares of my IPO that you know, I could not sell all of? And of course, the mutual fund manager will probably say yes, because they're working at the same firm or affiliated firms. And so what you have here is you have a mutual fund manager who's doing a favor for, you know, his uh, coworker, uh, buying a, a failed IPO, in essence. And do you want your mutual fund manager to be doing this? Of course, of course not. And this is, this is I, I thought that, uh, that under the uh, SEC rules recently, that there's a so-called Chinese wall between investment management like mutual funds and the investment banking, and they can't really communicate like that. Is, is what you're talking about legal and under current laws? What I'm talking about is probably not legal, uh, but it's, you know, how do you prevent coworkers from talking to each other? You know, that, that's... Well, they're I, in a different division. They're supposed to be a Chinese <laughs> wall between these Yeah, things. I mean, and here's the other thing. You know, it, the, the fact that we have to create regulations for this, I, I just consider that more evidence that, you know, that, that mutual funds engage in sneaky behavior. I just feel like so many of the regulations that have been created uh, for the mutual fund industry were created specifically because, you know, they're well known to be sneaky. And, and you know, here's the thing. I mean, it, it's not surprising for me that they're sneaky because this industry is a trillion dollar industry. They're all competing for, you know, for the available, you know, funds that are out there. Uh, and so they might have to resort to this kind of sneaky behavior. It's, you know, I mean, there's even examples of where, you know, at the end of the quarter, right before the quarterly reporting, you know, and this is something that you kind of alluded to earlier, where mutual fund will, you know, try to place some highly risky bets. Because let's say, you know, his performance isn't going to look good for the quarterly reporting. They'll, they'll place some high, highly risky bets to see if they can get, you know, a little bit more returns at the end. A lot of times they'll fail uh, and they just feel like, well, you know, no loss there because I wasn't going to outperform anyway. Well, you know, I mean, I'd rather have 1% underperformance than, let's say, 3% underperformance, but the mutual fund manager might not really care about that. This is, you know, sort of the other kind of, uh, you know, inappropriate things that mutual fund managers might do with our, with our hard-earned savings. Very good. Well, thanks so much. My guest this hour has been uh, Dr. Kenneth Kim. He's the chief financial strategist at Equus uh, Capital, which is a firm that helps people invest through uh, separately managed accounts. Uh, he's also the author of a new book called Mutual Funds Exposed, What You Don't Know May Be Hazardous to Your Wealth. You can find out more about it at mutualfundsexposed.com. Thanks so much for being a guest on the Money Answer Show, Dr. Kim. Hey, hey, Jordan. Thanks a lot for having me. Really appreciate it. Thank you, and we'll be back next week with another edition of the Money Answer Show. Goodbye for now. Thank you for joining Jordan Goodman and the Money Answer Show. If you have a question for Jordan, please visit his website at www.moneyanswers.com. And be sure to tune in every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time right here on Voice America Business. See you next week.